Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, December 6, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Morlanda is here with me, and it was, relatively speaking, slow weekend in the sport. Only two ranked teams played Saturday. Only six played Sunday. Blame COVID, but we got a gigantic headline on Sunday afternoon. Final score, Georgia Tech 79 Kentucky 62. So John Calipari's Wildcats are now one and three on the season. Lone victory over Moorhead State. They've lost to Richmond, Kansas, and Georgia Tech. And let the record show Georgia Tech entered this game with a zero and two record featuring losses to Mercer and Georgia State, which I assume makes Georgia Tech the first team in history to open 0-2 with losses to Mercer and Georgia State and then beat Kentucky in Game 3. Norlander, can you confirm? Did we watch history on Sunday inside State Farm Arena? It's. I'm not going to say that's history. I mean, I guess anything that happens in recorded history is history. So in that regard, sure. We watched history. I mean, Kentucky looks brutal. Come on now. This... I, they're only four games in, but they've never started one and three under Cal. And while there have been teams in the past that have put up some uh, concerning runs of games, the, come on now. I'm not saying that Kentucky can't and won't turn it around, but I was insistent that this was not a top 10 team in the preseason. I I think you refused to listen to me. And... I, I well, hold up, hold, hold up. up, hold up. I did not have Kentucky in the top 10. I did not have Kentucky in the top 10 in the preseason. Oh, by the way, let's go through our SEC predictions. Who'd you pick to win the SEC? I, I, I gotta say, I think I had Tennessee, didn't I? <laughs> I had Tennessee, <laughs> the great John Fulkerson. <laughs> yeah, I think you had Kentucky. Yeah, I still got time. I got time, you but see, you're right. You no, see, I won't play. I won't this, play it both ways. I will not play it both ways. Because there's picked, no way Kentucky. Not, on, not only did I have did not have Kentucky in the top ten of the top twenty five and one, which Kentucky fans took great offense to, ain't ain't had one tweet me tonight. But they took great offense in the preseason when I didn't have Kentucky in the top ten. And so not only did I not have Kentucky in the top ten, I didn't have Kentucky first in the SEC. I had Tennessee first because of the legend John Fulkerson. That's that's some that's some solid forecasting by you there. Uh, We'll see what happens when Tennessee welcomes in Colorado on Tuesday night, by the way. Uh, we'll get to that later. Um, this is, this is and plenty of Kentucky fans listen to the pod. We appreciate you. And, uh, yeah, it was a rough Sunday. First of all, you had Dan Dockett going after Cal again. Uh, Kentucky fans trying to gear up to watch their team against Georgia Tech. Unbeknownst to them, they were going to watch their team put up just a putrid performance. You got Dockett calling the Xavier-Cincinnati game calling out Cal for what is the second time this season for basically refusing to play teams in non-conference like Indiana and now Evansville. He said he'll never play Richmond again, and he basically said Cal will never schedule Georgia Tech again if he loses this game. Well, maybe that'll be the case. We'll, we'll have to wait and find out. But if you watch Kentucky lose, you saw tons to be concerned with. Not just the record, not just the youth, like – Lack of fight, some terrible hunting with some of these shots. Olivier Saar was weirdly just awful. Uh, what's your diagnosis on this? Are you with me in that it's completely fair right now to say that this is more concerning? Beyond like the fact that they've never been 1-3 under Cal. This is the first time they've been 1-3 since Cal's been there. First time they've been 1-3 since 2000-2001. But are you with me in that 
you know, even if they can round into form as, you know, a top three team in the SEC, but like what they have here is different from any other rocky start they've ever had before. Because it does feel different in the immediacy we were, we are recording this within, you know, 60, sec- 60 minutes of this game going final. Well, it is actually different based on the record, and it does feel different based on the roster. Uh, listen, I-, I have banged this drum for years and multiple times on the podcast leading up to this season. The greatest John Calipari teams at Kentucky, there's three. There's three that are better than any of the others. 2010, 2012, 2015. They all had roster balance. In other words, yes, they had star-studded freshmen, but they also had meaningful non-freshmen who had spent multiple years in the program also on the team. This team doesn't have that. And those teams, 2010, 2012, 2015, literally had the subsequent number one overall pick in the NBA draft on the roster. This team does not have that. Terrence Clark is a future NBA player. So is BJ Boston. Um, But neither one of them are going to go number one overall in the draft. So this didn't check those boxes. And now, and so I I was clear, even though I thought Kentucky would be better than this, obviously I didn't have them in the top 10. I did have them in the top 15 and had them in the top 25 and one as recently as Sunday morning. They go on tomorrow morning. They're gone. Based on where we're at right now, congrats to the St. Louis Billikens. You will be replacing the Kentucky Wildcats in uh, in the Monday morning's top 25 and one. So even though I didn't think this was going to be a a strong relative to strong Kentucky seasons, Kentucky team, I thought they'd be better than this. Clearly, here's the problem. In addition to everything else I've already said, they don't have a point guard. Devin Askew is not good enough. Mm. You know, he's a he's a four star freshman point guard who was ranked outside of the top thirty in his freshman class, uh, in his high school class rather. And you know, against Georgia Tech, he got three points, one assist, four turnovers through four games. He j- he's averaging seven points, two assists, and three point eight turnovers. He's shooting thirty two percent from the field, twenty two percent from three. He's not good enough right now. And if he's not good enough, you've got real problems because you're going to have to just play a non-point guard at point guard. I mean, again, let's go back to some of the point guards John has coached at Kentucky. In 2010, he had John Wall. John Wall's a first-team All-American as a freshman who was the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, and that team got a one seed in the NCAA tournament before it got upset by West Virginia. Um, 2012, he had Marcus Teague as the point guard. Now, you can say whatever you want to say about what Marcus Teague has been since he left Kentucky. He was a five-star point guard coming in to, to his uh, freshman season at UK. 2015, he had two five-star point guards on the roster, Andrew Harrison and Tyler Eulis. Th- that team went undefeated until it went to the title game or, or went to the final four, got upset by Wisconsin, but started the season 38-0. And then 2017, you just want to – this team wasn't quite – what those other teams were, but it was a good team. He had De'Aaron Fox, five-star point guard. Team went 32-6, and six, made the Elite Eight. John, even on his not tip-top Kentucky teams, usually has a five-star point guard. Suddenly, he is looking at a roster. He had one returning player. He's got no point guard, and he doesn't have the future number one pick in the draft. He's got no roster balance. It's a real problem. I'm not ready to predict that Kentucky's going to the NIT. I do feel comfortable saying, uh, even though I had Kentucky outside of the top 10 in the preseason, I don't think Kentucky's going to live up to even where I had them in, in the preseason. They don't, they've got a roster problem that 
doesn't just seem like, well, if these guys get, you know, some more games under their belt, they'll they'll figure it out. They've got a ro- they've got a roster problem. They've got a point guard problem. And you can't just sign somebody in free agency or go trade somebody. Mm-hmm. You've got to figure out with this roster how you're going to initiate offense. And uh, you know, I, I would suspect that that's what's coming next. I saw John Rostein uh, mention this earlier, and it was something that I had already put in my notes. The last time I remember Cal having a real point guard problem was his final season at Memphis. You know, they recruited Willie Kemp um, before Derrick Rose even got there. Willie Kemp was like a four-star point guard, you know, top 50 guy. And he started for a year and he was kind of okay, if I remember correctly. And then they bring in Derrick Rose and, and he, you know, Derrick Rose is going to start in front of you. And then the plan was to go back to Willie Kemp. He just couldn't, he couldn't do it. It wasn't good enough. And so Memphis started six and three that year with losses to Xavier, Syracuse, Georgetown. That doesn't sound awful, but it felt awful at the time relative to what Memphis had been. And after the ninth game of the season, John Calipari moved Tyreek Evans two-point guard he was playing off the ball in those first nine games they just said we're going to put the ball in this dude's hands and from there Memphis went 27 and one the rest of the way they were on a 27 game winning streak until they got to the sweet 16 of the 2009 NCAA tournament and they lost to Golden Gate Mike in Missouri so John has faced this point guard issue before and last time he addressed it it worked well but the way he addressed it was to put the ball in somebody's hands he did not plan to put the ball in their hands from the jump. Um, and it looks like with this team, it's probably something he's going to need to do again. Yeah, Jeff Borzello, our buddy with ESPN, he pointed out after the game went final, Kentucky has 73 turnovers in four games. 73 in four games with the team this young. That's just abysmal. That comes out to 18.3 turnovers well, per well, game. That's, that's- their, their, their offensive turnover percentage right now, after four games is 25.4%. They are giving the ball away one out of every three, a little more than one out of every three possessions. It ranks 261st in the country. So think about this. When you're 261st in the country in offensive turnover percentage and 243rd in the country in three-point field goal percentage, how are you supposed to be good? Yeah, that's that's a bad basketball team. uh, It's not doable. For Kentucky fans that watch this and watch the way that you lost against Kansas, also just like, again, like State Farm Arena was just lifeless. You know, just no uh, artificial crowd noise, nobody in the seats, no cardboard cutouts. It's all fine, but just like when you're watching your team and Georgia Tech, which has been brutal, losses to Mercer, Georgia State, Apparently, Josh Passner did be was able to actually get some contact practice in as of late, and if that you know that actually legitimately helped them get this win there. Congrats to to Passner, by the way. He's the first assistant, former assistant of Cal's, to get a game to get a win in in 18 games. Cal is now 17 and one all time, and uh, so Georgia Tech gets a good win, and it did look closer to a team that we thought could be you know in the NCAA tournament conversation. That's a that's a Good win. Georgia Tech has plenty of paths still to travel, but a nice win for them. Uh, but, yeah, that was just, you know, it, it got to be a blowout, and there was just no juice there. And for a young team, that probably doesn't help. Um, the last time Kentucky went 1-3 and three was 2000-2001. It started off with uh, – Tubby Smith was obviously the coach then. started off with a loss at St. John's to open the season. Then it lost against UCLA uh, at Madison Square Garden. Uh, I'm guessing that must have been the preseason NIT. I mean, we're going back 21 years now, but this those were the f- two opening 
uh, losses to start that season, both at the Garden, uh, got a win over Jacksonville State, and then lost uh, at Rupp Arena to Penn State and, and started started one and three. Um, that team wound up going 24-10 and 10 and finished first in the SEC East back when the SEC did have divisions, and so it wound up doing okay for itself. But obviously the roster makeup of that group and just the general makeup of college basketball, drastically different from what we are actually dealing with here today. Um, and that's a that's a pretty uh, pretty interesting roster to look back on there. But yeah, Kentucky's 1-3, and three and its next opponent's going to be Notre Dame. And, you know... It, it, that's a home game for Cal, and while it should win, uh, I mean, Notre Dame currently checks in at 79 at Ken Palm. Georgia Tech is 75, so they're not all that different. Uh, it is a different kind of style. Bray doesn't run what Passner runs, but certainly something to keep an eye out on that uh, with all of that. And we'll wind up talking about UK, I think, win or lose a week from tonight because that game is on Saturday. It's going to be a finals week. Kentucky has no games until they play Notre Dame on Saturday at Rupp if COVID does not disrupt that. That's pretty much all I got, GP, with with UK. I mean, we still got to see plenty more. Um, The three-point shooting is still an issue. We finally have, uh, you know... A couple, a couple of baskets going down for for Boston and Clark and Askew, but they still got plenty to figure out there. Um, we are recording this podcast, as I said, relatively quickly after the end of the game, so I don't know what Cal has said. Parrish could probably guess it better than anyone because he's he's covered him more than anyone that runs a, a regular frequent podcast. Given your time with him um, in Memphis, but he knows the deal here. And now uh, they oh, without, without even knowing, I uh, without yeah. hearing what he said, I would assume it's along. It touches on all the things he always touches on. We're young. Youngest team in the country. We're going to be okay. You know, that's yeah. what he always says. Is you know, it's it's a it's a December loss. Yeah, it's it's not. You know, we're going to be okay. Uh, just gotta you know play together. Um, we're young. Young. We'll be okay. Yeah, I know. Not, and, uh, until it's not okay, like officially, like it's over with, and it wasn't okay. He'll keep saying it's going to be okay until the very end. Right. My last thing, and then we can move on. The, if you're wondering if this is a first, it's not in terms of the three game losing streak. Kentucky actually has lost four before. But it wasn't in the Nerlens Noel NIT year, which they never had a losing streak of more than two games. It was actually the year where I think it's the only other team to have, and listen, they're young every season, but they were dead last in experience in college basketball back in 17-18. Um, in that was the year for people that, you know, I understand these Kentucky teams, if they didn't make uh win the championship or you know almost go undefeated i understand sometimes why these uh, if you're not a uk fan why the rosters can blend together that was the year that all of these players were freshmen hamadou diallo pj washington shea gilgis alexander kevin knox quad green nick richards they were all freshmen Wenyan gabriel was a sophomore uh jared vanderbilt was a freshman on that team i mean that was a young team won 26 games was a five seed in the tournament but it had a four game losing streak in sec play um three of those four were on the road with kentucky in the here and the now it's not in conference play so this is the first non-con three game losing streak and uh, two of those three were uh, away from home as opposed to three of four. So that's what they're looking at. If they want to dodge repeating what happened, they got to beat Notre Dame on Saturday. Here's the last thing I would say is that when I declined to rank Kentucky in the top 10 of the top 25 and one in the preseason, even after Olivia, Olivier Saar got a waiver to play immediately, um, that that is when the 
Kentucky fan, and I don't ever mean to talk about any fan base based off of, you know, the 20 yahoos who tweet me. Like, I, I understand there's the overwhelming majority of Kentucky fans have never tweeted me in their lives. At least I assume that that's true. Doesn't always feel like it, but, but I assume that it's true. So when I say Kentucky fans, I don't mean all of you. Most of you are completely reasonable. It's just there, there's some that they, they are more active on Twitter than others. And, you know, it was so – uh, Olivier Saar gets eligible and I think they were like, okay, here, this is when GP will throw him into the top five. And I just moved him up a couple of spots maybe, but still outside of the top 10 and still behind Tennessee. And it was like, well, we're, we're definitely a top five team with Saar eligible. And I was like, what well, really? You think he's that like, you think he's that? Cause I remember talking to somebody, I'll just say in the sec about Kentucky's roster and specifically about Olivier Saar. And this stood out, out to me when they said it. Now, it wasn't like uh, the most enlightening thing in the, in the world, but it, it was something notable. Person asked me, how good do you think he is? I was like, he, you know, he was a productive player for a bad team. I, I'm always a little hesitant to draw many conclusions from that. And this person said back to me, if he was good enough to be a difference maker at Kentucky, he wouldn't still be in college. He's a four-year center. He's a senior center. If he was good enough to be a difference maker at Kentucky, he wouldn't be going to Kentucky. He'd be in the NBA draft. And I say all that to say this. On Sunday against Georgia Tech, he had six points, three rebounds. He was one of four from the field. So far, he's played four games in a Kentucky uniform, and he has scored eight or fewer points in three of those four games. He did get 17 and 11 against Richmond, but that was in a double digit loss to an A-10 team. So if you were expecting he was going to come in and be, I don't know, DeMarcus Cousins or even a fraction of DeMarcus Cousins, that that's not who he is. He is, um, he's a, I don't want to say he's a nothing player. He's not, but he's not a difference maker at a place like Kentucky or at the very least, he, he has not made a difference so far. Moving on, Gonzaga. Ranked number one everywhere is pausing all basketball activities through December 14th. That news broke late Sunday afternoon. That's going to eliminate four games from the Zag schedule, at least. We're going to get into that next. First, though, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So Gonzaga is number one in the AP poll, uh, number one at Ken Palm, number one in the top 25 and one. Dating all the way back to March, it was announced on Sunday they are pausing all back basketball activities through December 14th. This, of course, comes after their showdown with number two Baylor that was scheduled for Saturday in Indianapolis was canceled. So Norlander, um, I guess this 
should not be a surprise given what we already knew when we woke up on Sunday morning. But still, um, I, I don't even want to say it's disappointing or frustrating. It's just it is what it is. This is what playing college basketball in the middle of a pandemic looks like. But not having the number one team um, uh, you know, healthy and on the floor until at least next Monday, and I'm just talking practice, is um, is kind of a bummer, right? Yeah, but this isn't surprising. Uh, what we don't know, and you know, if this is just okay, we had a couple of positives in Florida, then we had two more in Indianapolis, and now we're just going to settle and we're going to go on break. Or if they tested again and they had another, they didn't dis- disclose that. Uh, no reason necessarily to believe that that is the case, but obviously, um, either that that is the case and we don't know it yet, or it's not the case and they want to try and prevent it from being the case. If you're going to do it. Now's the time for Gonzaga. It's 3-0, and has wins over Kansas and West Virginia. Um, and then, as we talked about on the emergency podcast, if you haven't listened to that yet, I would recommend going and listening to that because we did get into what Gonzaga and Baylor want to try and do about scheduling that game. And we got into some details about realistic potential windows where they could get it in. So we won't repeat ourselves here. Go back and listen to the emergency pod from Saturday if you haven't listened to that just yet. So Gonzaga loses Tarleton State, Southern, Northern Arizona, and Idaho in its next four games. Those are now out the window, and those will not be made up this year. That is not a Baylor situation with any of those, uh, I would not think there. So Iowa sits on December, uh, December 19th on a Saturday. That is another CBS game scheduled in South Dakota. If Gonzaga can return as it hopes on December 15 for practice, as you said, uh, figure wants to get in practice on 15 and 16 and then fly 15, 16, 17, fly 18 to play on 19 against Iowa. That's going to be the, uh, you know, the goal there. I do want to remind listeners because this is, and I think we did mention this on a podcast. I think we did. Um, when these teams have to go on break like this, and this is, you know, this is an eight-day break here. Maybe a nine-day break when you consider they didn't really probably do anything physical today. No practice today. Um, coaches and specifically trainers, uh, they are not comfortable. Some of them are not comfortable with this idea of, of taking more than seven days off. And and if the players are quarantining, if they're not able to access the gym, do cardio work, do weightlifting, do anything, um, jumping right back into the fire parish and playing a game immediately. This is probably that window where it's just good enough. I mean, you're going to be facing an Iowa team that's probably top 10 quality. Um, so keep that in mind as well, not just specific, specifically with Gonzaga, but with any teams. If, if they have to go on pause and they're on pause for more than a week or if they're close to you know, 12, 14 days, it's another four, five, six days just to get yourselves back into playing shape so that you avoid, hopefully, you know, just an unnecessary injury to one of your players because they tried to go full speed again after not playing for 13 days. So just keep that in mind here uh, with Gonzaga. Obviously, people are going to point back to Gonzaga deciding to play Auburn the day after Thanksgiving down in Florida, even after a player tested positive. Um, For folks who might not be Uh, familiar with the order of things. This is basically how it went on Thanksgiving. Gonzaga played Kansas and then Gonzaga had a player test positive. It is reportedly Justin uh, Julian Strother. He's He is seen in the locker room after the game maskless celebrating with the entire team uh, again on the night of the day of Thanksgiving. Still Gonzaga decides to play Auburn last Friday 
Then they go to Indianapolis. They play West Virginia on Wednesday night. They get another positive test on Friday night. They have to cancel the game with Baylor on Saturday afternoon. Are you comfortable connecting those dots? But is it is it reasonable to assume that Gonzaga pushing it with a positive test the day after Thanksgiving has led to Gonzaga now having to shut down its program and miss a game with the second ranked team in the country? Or is that we're connecting too many dots and we simply do not know? That's reasonable to assume, but we don't know it to be sure. Um, St. Joe's had to go on a pause after being involved in the Florida event, and I think it's due to come off here in a couple days. Auburn never did, never had a positive test. Kansas, at this point, has not had a positive test. So we do know um, that it was not a situation that was out of control with Florida. And again, the Florida health, health officials allowed them to play. But with Gonzaga, because of this, um, you know, you do your best, and they have gone. I mean, Mark Few even said on the CBS broadcast when he, you know, after they canceled the game, uh, but they talked to him real quick for network. He said, you know, these guys have their own rooms on the road. That's unheard of. And he's right. Like, you know, Gonzaga is, 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 is doing all that it can in terms of a travel perspective, different planes, players have their own room. Normally it's two to a room on the road uh, to help obviously with university costs, you know, when you got to book these hotel rooms, all this stuff costs money um, and everything that they're going through. But clearly uh, whatever measures they took, uh, they got back home. They had their conversations uh, within the program and obviously um, elsewhere within the university uh, athletic department and potentially the president. And they decided, okay, we let's just let's just stop here. Let's not get ourselves into an even worse situation. And um, frankly, uh, if you're Gonzaga, you know, the, you know, while those other teams would have loved a chance to play Gonzaga, I mean, let's just be real here, Parish. These are expendable games. You would love to get the wins, but the wins do you almost nothing from an NCAA tournament perspective. So they are completely disposable games, um, and and so they're going to just they're going to halt here and see if they can get it back together and be in good sh- good shape to play Iowa, and hopefully Iowa will be in good shape to play Gonzaga on December nineteenth. So the Gonzaga-Baylor game was obviously the biggest game of the weekend that had been scheduled but then had to be called off. But by my count, it was one of only 45 that was scheduled for Saturday or Sunday at one time or another and had to be canceled or postponed because of COVID-19 issues. On Saturday, uh, the breakdown is like this. There were 72 games scheduled, 25 were called off. So 35% of the schedule was canceled or postponed on Saturday. On Sunday, there were 54 games scheduled at one time or another. 10 were called off. So 19% of the schedule was canceled or postponed. Added up, and 35 of the 124 games that were scheduled at one point or another for Saturday or Sunday of this weekend were called off. That's 28%. Norlander, I had a coach ask me on Saturday night, Like, is this just how it's going to be? And so let me ask you the same question. Is this what we're looking at? Or is this just a bad stretch? Because 35% 35 of Saturday's games being canceled because of COVID issues is a, that's a, we've sort of rationalized doing this, A, because of money, but B, by saying, hey, listen, football was canceled about 18, 20% of its games and college basketball through the first 10, 11 days was, you know, they're doing about 20%. So it's kind of the same thing, but like the, the number jumped on Saturday and Sunday. 
and now we just got four more Gonzaga games canceled. Mm -hmm. Do you think we do you think this is going to be tougher to pull off than college football is, you know, than what college football is going through and has been going through? I think they're about the same because college basketball is 357 teams. It's an indoor sport in the winter when the pandemic is worsening while football just doesn't have as many opportunities to make up the games. So there are pros and cons for each of them. But uh, yeah, this is what it's going to be. <laughs> like an, until do you Do you, let me ask you this, because I wrote this in the top 25 and one on Sunday morning. I said, listen, I've never suggested cancel the season or even pause it. Let's just like, it seems pretty clear we're going to do the best we can. And, yeah. and so let's just do the best we can. But I don't think there will be a two-day period from now till the, till the NCAA tournament where COVID-19 doesn't disrupt something. Would you agree with that statement? I would t lean to agree with you. I think we could get lucky and have a two-day stretch where not one game gets moved. We could, but asking three is almost an impossibility. And what I do think is also a very strong possibility is that we will hit a point with multiple leagues where they just straight up stop playing for a certain amount of time to get their team to basically balance their books, balance their schedules. And whether that means that they're going to still try and get the games in in campus venues with travel necessary or if they're going to say, OK, now we're going to go and try and do something uh, in one single site for 10 to 14 days to get games in. I do think that's that's definitely going to be looming out there uh, without a doubt. And, and by the way, there was this anti-bubble argument very early on, even though I was suggesting it. I believe you were suggesting it, too. I was a big proponent of let's just go to conference only bubbles and, and knock this thing out. We know basketball works in a bubble. We know uh, soccer works in a bubble. What we don't know is whether college basketball in the winter is going to work outside of a bubble. We can see, but we don't know. What we know is bub bubbles work. And so we didn't go there for a variety of reasons. But one of the reasons you would hear from people is you can't take student athletes on the road for that long. And I was like, tell me why. Show me the rule and tell me why. Uh, Gonzaga just spent two weeks on the road. Yes, all right. They, you, uh, yeah. they, now they did. Let's 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 be fair here. They did. And look what happened. That's yes. But like, they, how about this? They didn't. They here's my point. Not that Gonzaga was in a bubble for two weeks. Gonzaga was in went from Spokane to Florida, Florida to Indy. They were just bouncing around the country. My point is they were away from home for two straight weeks. Uh, so, so the argument that you can't put a college basketball team in a bubble for 14 days is nonsensical. Like you could put, you could do whatever you want to do. It just comes down to what are you willing to do? Um, I, I, if Gonzaga would have been at Mohegan Sun, like check in, stay there for 14 straight days, don't leave. You know, follow all of our protocols. They, they, once you get there and you're fine, you're probably fine through the deal. That's what we learned. So, I, my point isn't that. Gonzaga was away from home for 14 days and look what happened. My point is because they were bouncing around the country. I've never suggested that's the wise way to do this. What I suggested is absolutely you can take a basketball team away from its campus for weeks at a time, bubble them up and, and get games in. That, that is okay. And Gonzaga willing to be away from home for two consecutive weeks underlines the point that it is okay. If you didn't want to do it, just say you didn't want to do it, but don't act like it was impossible. You're, you're right. Um, on this note, by the way, just uh, since we're talking about this, I did, I was curious. So I looked earlier today um, as of right now, there are 57 teams. Now, this includes the teams that are not going to play this season. So, Ivy, so you got to remove Ivy, Maryland Eastern Shore, um, 
Bethune Cookman and a couple others who are just not going to play. But 57 teams have yet to play a game this season. But on the other end of it, we're 12 game. I think we're 12, right? I think we're 12 days into. I think we're yeah, we're 12 days into the season. There have been 12 game days to this point. Um, Xavier beat Cincinnati uh, on on Sunday to win uh, the Crosstown uh, shootout, and they are now six and two in their last eight games versus the Bearcats. But Xavier's living large at the moment. Um, they're six and zero. Oh. I mean, they're the only six and zero oh team in the country, and they've been able to get in all six games as planned. There are only six teams, I believe. One, two, three, four. Yeah, there are six teams who have played. I'm not going to trivia time you here because we're not going to waste listeners' time here. But uh, if you are curious. Uh, for those that have been fortunate enough to this point to schedule ambitiously in terms of the number of games, here are the six teams to get six games in and through the first 12 days of gameplay. Xavier six and0, BYU is five and one. San Francisco is four and two. BYU and San Francisco both went to the bubble in Mohegan Sun. Omaha is two and four. NCANT is two and four, and Oakland is zero and six. Those are your only six teams to get in six games at this point. Plenty of teams are struggling to get off the mat and even play one. DePaul being a recent example, it had its game canceled in the eleventh hour against Iowa State on Sunday, so they're having some uh, some real issues. And then, real quick, since I mentioned them, NCANT lost at home to, on Sunday to Stanford, which is still. In North Carolina, searching for another game in North Carolina later this week, and it was the first time Stanford had ever played at an HBCU. NCANT wasn't able to get a win there, but that was a, a little piece of history for uh, both schools there. But yeah, just six teams. I was just curious, GP, because we talk about all these postponements and cancellations. Which team? Which schools have actually been fortunate at this point, not only to get all the games they wanted, but they've actually like, you know, gotten in six games. When if you're getting playing eighteen league games or twenty league games, getting in six already, that's that's a huge win. So just uh. Just a little nugget there for you. This pandemic has been rough on everybody, but you know the state of North Carolina has benefited in very small ways. Uh, Maui Invitational relocated to North Carolina and Stanford relocated to North Carolina. That's an amazing institution and an amazing multi-team college basketball event. So listen, I'm sure if you're in North Carolina, you'd rather snap your fingers and, and have none of this exist, but you got Stanford out of the deal and the Maui Invitational, so that's uh, pretty good. I will. I, I know you don't want to waste listeners' times, time, but uh, I, trivia time. Let's I will it. trivia time you. No, no, no. I, there was no shot you were guessing Oakland and North Carolina A&T. So just, you know, those six teams and just uh, Xavier fans, if you're feeling great, that's good. Before you trivia time, are you going to put X in your top 25 and one? No. Okay. Okay. All right. At Gary Parrish, CBS, go find him. Trivia time me. Let's go. There are four power conference schools that still have not played a game and by power conference. We mean the top seven leagues, power five plus big East and American. Okay. One of them is DePaul. You've already mentioned that. Yes. Name the other three. Well, I know Tennessee is one of them because Tennessee is going to host Colorado on Tuesday and it still has not gotten in a game. Tell me I'm right. That is correct. Tennessee has not played a game. Tennessee has actually had um, five games canceled so far. Charlotte, VCU, Gonzaga, Notre Dame, UT Martin, now they are going to open with Colorado. And I meant to reach out. I, I wonder if Kimmy English put this together. Kimmy used to work at Colorado, mm. and now he works at Tennessee. I wonder if he was just like, you guys need a game? Like, Tad, Rick, I'll get you guys out here. Let me connect you. Uh, we'll do a, a group crawl, and let's. Uh, can you fly to Knoxville this week, and we'll play there. Tennessee's going to return the game uh, to Colorado at some point. So, yes, DePaul is one of the teams that hasn't played. Tennessee is another. Tennessee is the only ranked team that hasn't played a game yet. Tennessee, like you said, going to host Colorado on Tuesday. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go Zach Morris timeout. 
and just say mm-hmm. on the middle trivia time, I'm going to guess it, but you just reminded me of something. First of all, your Kim English uh, suspicion has got to be right. I, th- I got to think that that's exactly what happened there. And two, I am going to correct on this podcast because I erroneously, mistakenly referred to Ashley Hodge <laughs> of Sikkim 365 <laughs> as a woman. My apologies. Ashley and I did actually connect uh, online. I sent my apologies. He said it was fine. He actually listens to the podcast and says I'm used to it, of course. Uh, so my apologies. Ashley Hodge, Sikkim, Sikkim 365 is a man, wanted to correct that since you brought up King English because you were then poking fun at me that I was going to refer to Kim English as the first uh, woman on the bench in a D1 game. And I, obviously, I, you know. I ran into this not too long ago, maybe some, maybe in the past six months, year, I don't know. We have someone who works at CBS Sports HQ who reaches out to us all the time to make sure we're available. Hey, are you going to be, can you be on this one o'clock show? Hey, can you join us after the Duke game? Hey, can you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Quinn Snyder. Correct. And it, I, it's probably five, four months into the deal before I realized Quinn is not a man. <laughs> See, Quinn to me, you know, that, that really, that, that definitely is, um, that, that's a gender bending name. But when I hear Quinn, like sometimes we are, I, to me, Quinn is, is more female than male name, but that's really me. like my middle guy, my six year olds, like his, one of his best friends is named Quinn and it's a little boy. And so, and then, and then you're like, actually Quinn Snyder is correct. Like, an NBA coach, and I, it just never occurred to me that Quinn Snyder was not a man. And then I don't know how I figured it out. Oh, you know what I think happened? This, this is Facebook. You know how they'll suggest friends to you? Yes. So it like I'm just it's like suggested. It's like, hey, you want to be friends with this person? I'm like, I do not. The last <laughs> thing I want to do on this planet is be friends with that person. And then it says, uh, you want to be friends with Quinn Snyder? And it says C- works with CBS Sports. And I was like. That's Quinn Snyder. How was that Quinn Snyder? And so it was a it was an eye opening experience. So um, I always I I, I text more um, politely with her now. <laughs> I I, uh, I I I'm a I'm a more polite texter now. Definitely not wasting listeners' time. By the way, okay. Um, who do we have? Tennessee, DePaul. I need two more. Yes. I got no shot at this man. Uh, One of them also plays in the SEC. And they have a coach named after a frog. Yeah. Okay, Ole Miss. There we go. Kermit. Not yeah. enough dudes named Kermit in college basketball. This is one of the staple philosophical ideals of this podcast dating back to at least 2018. All right, Ole Miss is three. And then give me the conference on the fourth one. A-A-C. Uh, I'm going to say East Carolina off the top of my head because I know it didn't play in its originally planned uh, multi-team event. East Carolina is playing. They're probably playing right now. Okay. Joe Dooley got Joe Dooley's gotten him hustling eight twenty on a Sunday night. Okay, so it's yes. not ECU. Uh, Tulane. It doesn't matter. No. Okay. Tulane. East, Car- East, Car- East Tulane. Carolina. East, East Carolina's three and zero. By the way, so watch out. That's the Jaden. Uh, Tul- Tulane is two and zero. Tulane. Tulane. Okay, you can say and, it the way you want to say it. It's fine. No, I changed. I changed the way I pronounced Tulane. And, and, and sitting there with a zero and zero record still on the night of December 6th, your Temple Owls. Uh, I knew it, and I didn't know that I knew it. That's right. Yep, 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 Temple. There we go. Okay, well, there we go. That was uh, a nice little venture there. I don't know. Edit that out. Edit all of that out. No. <laughs> this is absolutely worth it. Can we talk? Can, first of all, I was going to start this podcast with a, come win it now, if Texas won. But he didn't win. Oh, 
So you I know what I just figured out? Like I've been listening to Rage Against the Machine since I was like, you know, 15, 16 years old. And so the other night when we were texting about and tweeting about Shaka Smart looking like Zach De La Roca, I ended up uh, on a Bulls on Parade live in Germany or something. And I think for 25 years, I've thought Zach De La Roca opened that song with quit it now no. as opposed to come with it now. Come with it now. That's right. <laughs> I just learned that. How did I just learn that? You know, we've all got those lyrics that we miss here for like 15 years, and then you hear or you come across the way it actually was written, and it's like, whoa! You're like the guy. You're like the like the gift with the guy from the wire. That's what it. That's what it but is. Like Zach, Zach, there could be telling. I could see him telling people to quit it, quit it, quit it now. <laughs> I that makes like it sounds like something he would say. I I could see it. I could see it saying. Did you like my little? Uh, my Texas-inspired Rage Against the Machine lyrics after they won. You you did a good job Thank with that. Thank you very much. They I was gonna I was gonna respond with my own version. I was like, you know what? I don't have to one up everything, Norlander. Like, let Norlander have I, this you, We could have kept it going. I would have embraced <laughs> it. I was I was I was feeling frisky there. Okay, so Villanova is four and one. It won against Texas 68-64 on Sunday. I was taking in that game as I was watching my Bears just absolutely crap the bed, and I just. Uh, I'm going to move on from that. That just been, it's been a weird unfortunate Sunday in the Norlander household. Just like just brutal. Um but but Nova gets the win. 68-64. Now they do a great job. See, they lost the Virginia Tech game at Mohegan Sun, but they if you could tell Jay Wright he could trade that in for a win at Texas, you're taking it every time. And the point that I made afterward was that you don't know how many and I'm talking about just general college basketball. How many times are you going to be able to get, or any team's going to be able to get, like a quad one road win against a team that is realistically going to be in the conversation for a three, four, five seed? It's going to happen elsewhere. You just don't know how many of those opportunities are going to be able to surface because how many non-con opportunities are there going to be? How many non-con opportunities are there going to be that don't get canceled? Even if Gonzaga plays Iowa, that's not a road win for either team. Gonzaga plays Baylor. Both team, both coaches have said they want it to still to be a neutral, not a road win opportunity. So at the end of the day, that was my biggest takeaway. I mean, it was a, it was an interesting game. Love the fight from both teams. And for Nova to get the win the way that it did was great. Texas, I'm still in on. But Villanova, if it comes down to it and it's it's trying to fight for that one line, winning at Texas whenever we get to Selection Sunday, Parish, to me this just this feels like a win that is going to increase. It's just a really they're they're buying a stock in at a great price, and it's probably going to you know appreciate more and more as the season goes on. Yeah, like what are the best wins anybody in the country has right now? Um, uh, you could argue uh, Villanova's win at Texas is right at the top of the list, certainly close to the top if it's not at the top. Uh, Michigan State at Duke would be on the list of best wins so far this season. Houston over Texas Tech on a neutral is a great one. Gonzaga over Kansas on a neutral is a great one, but like, yeah, if you're listing great early season wins, you know, Villanova over Texas on Sunday afternoon in early December is going to be one that it, it should hold up. Like, right. Will it look as good in March as it looks right now? I don't know. Texas is fourth at Ken Palm right now. I don't know if Texas is going to stay in the top four, right. but that's going to be a good win every day from now until selection Sunday. And let's be clear. It's the best one in America right now because it's the fourth rate. And I, I know the rankings, it was, what, 12 versus 17 or whatever. But, like, in terms of the metrics right now, and we're early, we're not even two weeks in, there's not a better win anyone has than beating the number four team at their place. 
You know, that's that's better than Kansas over well, we know what it is, Kansas over Kentucky. But it's better than anyone anyone that anyone was able to to get to this point. I'm including like Gonzaga over Kansas. Nova over Texas at Texas is a better win right now than Gonzaga over Kansas on a neutral. All right, before we look ahead though, GP, I do want to uh I do have to hit on something that happened Sunday because we le- we legitimately did have history. We talked about Kentucky. I, I, did you see the the real history that was made? I was one over through four. That was that was historic on a personal level. I I don't know what I'm you're not, referencing listen, here. I don't want you to. All right, you were one over through four, and then what what was the what was the final tally? Just what did you wind up shooting? I I honestly don't know. I stopped. It was that I got, bad. Yeah, it, it was one of those where I got so fr- I was off to such a promising start, and then it just turned on me. It just it's frustrating. Okay. I want to I, I want to be if I could be anything in this world, tall and thin. Would I'd pick that first? I'd love to be tall and thin. Sounds like I'd like to be you, <laughs> and, and then and and then but also good at golf. So maybe Dustin John. I'd like to be Dustin Johnson, tall, thin, great at golf. Fair enough. By the way, I, I learned this weekend. Dustin Johnson went to Coastal Carolina. Had no idea, but because he was the picker for Coastal BYU, it just, it just seems random. I don't know. I just I would have. Ne- I don't. Know. If you asked me to guess, I would honestly would have guessed like I don't know, UCLA, Georgia, or something. Yeah, I just at Coastal. How about that? Um, no, no, no. So, dude, Ohio and Cleveland State. This is this is ridiculous. The game at one point, Ohio wins going away against Cleveland State. The game was 46 to 25 with a buck and a half to go in the first half. 46 to 25 and Ohio proceeds to go on a 40 to nothing run. It was 86 to 25 with 8 minutes and 23 seconds to go in the second half. That's insane. It is a Division 1 men's basketball record for longest run without the other team scoring any points including two D1 teams in the history of the sport. 40 to nothing. I did text uh, Jeff Bowles, who coaches Ohio. Um, here's what he said. Because I said, I got to bring up this on our podcast, man. Because it's just, it's ridiculous. Um, he said, I had no idea we were up that many or they hadn't scored in that long of a time. Some coach speak I'm not even going to get into. Um, but uh, but he's like, I, you could never even script something like that. He said, I looked up at the under 12 media timeout and they were stuck on 25. I said, have they even scored? And my assistant was like, they haven't scored in 15 minutes. <laughs> I said, and then I said, if I went up to you before you asked your assistant that, like if I could just like stop you right there and be like, what do you think, what kind of run do you think you're on? He's like, I would have guessed like 20 to nothing. It was double that, 40 to nothing. Shouts to Ohio. That is just, I mean, I, I, I just, it's not that that could ever be broken because, you know, you get a blue blood team playing an absolute just garbage team seven, 17, 37 years from now. And maybe they pull off like a forty-two nothing wrong. Like it is a breakable record, but that's just—it's unthinkable. Ohio's three and one, and in addition to that, they also have Jason Preston, who's gotten plenty of run this year because he basically didn't even think that he was going to be—he enrolled to college to be a student, and then he got talked into going to prep school, played up, and he's gotten a little bit of buzz for him. So, um, yeah, he's, like he—he's he because he had that big game against Illinois, yeah, and then uh, against Cleveland State in this one, he had twelve points, eight assists, seven rebounds. And he went viral, I guess, in the Illinois game because 
they're just like in the middle of a game randomly telling this amazing story. Had that story ever been told before? It, I don't think it had because it, it was one of those where like we would have, we should have or would have known about it. Uh, but no, yeah. He like, just, like Bulls, if you're listening, if you run across one of those again, I know. text somebody. Exactly. Like, give us a heads up. I didn't even give him grief about that in the in the text thread. But yeah, no, it's, it's genuinely an amazing story because he's going to be a pro now. And he is like a top three player in the MAC. And wasn't even thinking that he was go- like it wasn't even on his radar that he would be good enough to play college basketball. And only because he went to prep school, and then they had four different tiers at that prep school in terms of teams you were on. He was on the C team out of four, A, B, C, and D. Got bumped up to the best one, then got dropped back down, got back up, and then wound up uh, getting an opportunity to play at Ohio after he put his, his mixtape on Twitter. So it's a, it's an awesome awesome deal. Um, go out and go ahead and look for that story. But yeah, Ohio three and one might wind up being the best team in the MAC this season. We'll wait and see. Uh, their next game comes in a week against Marshall. But uh, between that and the 40-0 and run, you can't ask for much better pub two weeks into a season if you're a mid-major than, uh, than what Bulls has been able to do at Ohio. Yeah, that's, that's not a story that you waste in the middle of a non-league game. <laughs> that, like, that's a, that's a, that's a, for me, it's a 1,500-word story. And for Norlander, it's a 5,000-word story. That's right. <laughs> Correct. You're absolutely right about that. You're not wrong that's at all. A, and uh, or like it's a game day story, you know, like yeah. you don't want to write it. It's a that, that I, I when it went viral, somebody was like, this is an amazing story. I was like, all right, I'll listen to this. And I'm listening to the story. and It just gets better and better and better. I'm like, how does nobody know this story? Like, and like Bowles, because he was an assistant at Ohio State, we, you know, for, before he became a head coach, we all know him. <laughs> like he could have given the story to any of us. I, I, I was going to text him and I forgot, but I was, as I was watching the story, I was like, how did none of us ever hear about, like, you know, we talk to coaches sometimes and they'll be like, Hey, I got something that might be interesting for you. Like, like both had this thing that's undeniably interesting and just kept it to himself. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Um, okay. Monday is pretty, it's pretty rough, right? But Tuesday we got some games perish. Yeah, Monday is like, don't worry about Monday. Uh, but on Tuesday, there's at least four games that I think are are relatively interesting involving ranked teams. One you've already mentioned, Colorado at Tennessee. I'll just use the rankings in the latest top 25 and one. Uh, I've got Tennessee ninth in the top 25 and one. So Colorado at a top 10 Tennessee team picked to win the SEC. And that's a quality opponent. For a team that, you know, hasn't played a game yet. And the Vols have, uh, we've mentioned John Fulkerson, East Ponds. Uh, they enrolled two five-star freshmen, both of whom are projected one-and-done first-round draft picks. So I'm really high on this Tennessee team. Looking forward to seeing them. Colorado-Tennessee tips at 6 Eastern on Tuesday. Shortly before that, um, you get number six Creighton at number four Kansas. Again, these rankings are based on where they are in the top 25 and one. And then we also have that night, number 19, North Carolina at number three, Iowa, and number seven, Illinois at number eight, Duke. Those games, of course, being tied to the ACC Big Ten Challenge. So Monday, not much going on. Really, there wasn't much going on Saturday or Sunday, but Tuesday night, really Tuesday, because that first game, Creighton, Kansas tips at five Eastern. Um, that Tuesday should you know should be awesome, provided of course, and this is probably going to just have to be the way we talk about this stuff yeah. all season. Provided of course the games go off as planned. Yeah, you're right. Um, just to by the way, we don't really bring this too much up on the pod, but you know, for everyone that 
is you know loving that the season's returned and we can be part of your kind of your weekly rhythm we we sincerely appreciate it but just as a reminder like you know if you've got a pretty big appetite for just following the games and then following the reactions to stuff like the cbs sports app we will paris and i will be on hq if you want to watch us in real time after stuff like this on tuesdays or whenever there are big games and then we will have like plenty of written coverage with all this stuff tuesday is actually fairly loaded like we'll see what kind what games we actually get and the results we get but it wouldn't surprise me if uh if either parish or myself in addition to kyle boone not necessarily kyle porter or david cobb winds up uh writing stuff off that so we always appreciate yeah, we just we just sit around waiting on a text from quinn snyder there we go exactly so we would appreciate if you uh visited cbssports.com or use the cbs sports app to continue to read our coverage because we put just as much effort into that as we do with the pod tuesday's loaded as hell I, I i love this um i i guess a, you know just a recap for the you know north carolina iowa colorado tennessee creighton kansas illinois duke i think illinois duke is the one that i'm most intrigued with of all of those but i mean i i want to- i am not going to tolerate your luca garza no i'm, much, I'm about to say i'm about to say I like. I want to see like if Luca Garza is going to drop thirty nine on North Carolina's head. Like I'm. I that is right there with just how will Illinois show up at a Duke team that to me has almost as many question marks as Kentucky. And will we wind up talking on this pod on Wednesday morning and kind of referencing Duke in similar ways that we are Kentucky, or will they will be able to get the win? Illinois is in an interesting spot, not respected by the metrics just yet, the way that they are. Illinois is in the polls, uh, so I will be intrigued with all that. And then Creighton at Kansas, Creighton's got a wonderful opportunity uh, to get a to get a win that could usurp what Nova did against Texas, basically. You know, close to it. Kansas isn't as high right now uh, in Ken Palm, but to me, Creighton over Kansas would be more impressive than than Nova over Texas there. So, no, we, do, we don't have a shortage of, of intriguing ones uh, there. The only other one, by the way, that, uh, you know, I want to see if Rutgers can just get the job done on its home floor against Syracuse on Tuesday. That's just like a, if you can bring up, uh, if you got a smart TV and you go to the, the four the quad box kind of deal, um, I think that one might be interesting. Ohio State goes at Notre Dame. But, yeah, there's a clear top four. Um, but uh, we have been getting some love uh, for, our, for our love for the mid-majors. And I do have to mention that at the mid-major level on Tuesday, there actually is a very significant game between Austin P and Murray State. Those are two teams that are, you know, quite clearly um, very, very good Ohio Valley teams, and they put them this early in the season. It's, it's one of those things where like they try and do a good thing and they still can't win. Like that's just not going to register on a national level. I get that, but Austin P and Murray State are both capable of winning the OVC and then winning in the NCAA tournament. So it's actually a hugely significant mid-major game. Uh, so just. Keep an eye on that. It could be uh, strangely riveting. I think Austin P and Murray State both have future pros, and that doesn't even include Terry Taylor, who's one of the best mid-major players in America. I know we don't normally do picks, but I'm just going to say um, Iowa over Carolina, Kansas over Creighton, and I will take Illinois to get the win on on the road and, and beat Duke. But uh, these aren't for official loggings, but figure since we're going to talk about them, those are, my, uh, those are my expectations or my predictions. My expectations is a great, great, great Tuesday night after what was supposed to be a pretty awesome Saturday that fell flat. All jokes aside, you know, Luca Garza is the cons- was a consensus first team All-American last season, is the consensus preseason national player of the year heading into this season and has been statistically awesome for a top 10 team so far. Do you think he registers yet with casual sports fans? I 
don't. I think he needs to have. I think and Tuesday, that's, and that's my point. Like, yeah. you, what if he goes big against Carolina? Yes, does that change things does. for him? Because think about last year, entering the season. My neighbor, I promise you, had never heard of Obi Toppin. All right, but then Obi at least had these big moments in Maui on national television against Kansas. Famously, like the corner three turns to the bench before mm-hmm. it goes in. Like he had these moments, and then it's like, oh, I want to watch that guy again. And then it was dunk, 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 dunk. And he was a star. Plus, he had the name. That helped. Um, I don't know if Luca Garza is a star who resonates with cas- casual sports fans yet. Like the people who, instead of um, thinking about Kentucky, Georgia Tech today, were watching the NFL and didn't even really know Kentucky and Georgia Tech were even playing. Like, do those people know about Luca Garza? I'm not sure. But one way to thrust yourself onto um, the national radar outside of college basketball, yeah, go get 40 and 15 against North Carolina in the Big Ten ACC Challenge for an undefeated team. You in a win. Right. Go do that. That, uh, that. That'll get the job done. I agree with you. Uh, this, this is a Tuesday is a hugely significant night for college basketball in terms of there's no NBA happening right now, GP. I was about to say there's no NFL, but there actually is an NFL game on Tuesday scheduled. I think the Ravens play the Cowboys, I think. I've got Lamar in fantasy, and I need a miracle performance there. Um, so even then, college hoops can't catch a break because the NFL will overshadow everything. But but still, if if Iowa is able to beat Carolina and Garza can go for 30-plus again, that is the kind of thing. He's not a non-factor. He was you know, he was a first-team All-American last year, and, and Iowa had its best season a long time. It can be even better this season. So he's there, but he has not broken through yet. And on a— If, if, you, if you walk into a—back when you could walk into sports bars. Right. If you walk into a sports bar in New York City tonight and there's 30 guys in there and gals watching Sunday Night Football and you said, hey, pause, can you identify this person? And you held a picture of him and it didn't have a, it just, it was just a picture of his face. How many of those 30 know who Luca Garza is? Three. I know. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely hear you on that. Um, that's a 7.35 tip on ESPN, by the way. Uh, Creighton at Kansas is a five, weird weird little lineup. Uh, five o'clock is Creighton, Kansas. Then you got North Carolina, Iowa at 7.35. Then Illinois, Duke at 9.30. So it's a great little run there. Uh, Illinois, Duke will run uh, parallel, I guess, to, to Syracuse, Rutgers um, with all of that stuff. So, no, Tuesday night is loaded uh, if you're just a general sports fan. If you're like me, you like the NFL just as much as you love hoops, you'll have a little uh, football to go with your college basketball. And that's a, that's a, that's a big time day and then it will obviously continue on Wednesday but we'll save the Wednesday stuff for the Wednesday morning podcast and we'll get to the games that are happening then when Facebook asked me if I wanted to be friends with Quinn Snyder should I have sent a friend request how do you handle that situation I you know what man I'm I'm, I just I'm not really on the Facebook that much anymore and I did call it the Facebook that was intentional but uh but you know we're colleagues I think it can be done I do have to ask you I have to bring up one thing before we get out of here because I had like seven people follow up with me. on. Sometimes we get into these things on the podcast and they're like, it's like one and done. Like, see ya, out of sight, out of mind. But I did, I did post a poll about it. They wanted me to readdress you with all this stuff. Hmm. So I put this poll out about Magic the Gathering and Pogs. You now know what both are. Sure. I just can I get a, you know, when you found out what each was, Magic the Gathering was a card game that basically, you know, I think quasi, nah, I don't. 
mean to offend anyone that like loves either of these things because um, they seem interesting in their own rights. They were just never my speed. But Magic the Gathering has like a Dungeons and Dragons kind of, you know, like world aspect to it. And then Pogs are basically, you know, just you just slam them down, collect them and all that stuff. What, were, what was your response when you found out what, what both of those things actually were? Well, I just wasn't even thinking in uh, on... I wasn't even thinking in that world. Like, you got to remember how this conversation started. You were talking about mask, and it, it was like a style thing. And, yeah. and then, and then you, you, somehow it got twisted into, somehow pogs got brought up. So I was thinking pogs were some type of clothing, like either jeans or shirt, or sh a style of shirt, or uh, a hat, or what I actually thought. I thought they were a style of shoes. Yeah. That's why, that's why I subsequently said what I remember when we were like in middle school, we'd wear Sebagos because I thought Pogs were, I thought Sebagos were a thing and Pogs were a thing. I thought, I thought they were shoes. I had no idea that we weren't even talking clothing at all. You thought Magic the Gathering was rising up the Heat Seekers chart in 1994 on college radio. I thought radio. Magic the Gathering was an indie rock band or uh, Tyler the Creator's mentor. There we go. The poll results were in almost 1,400 votes. 51% of people uh, were with me. They know uh, what both of them are. A, a higher number than I expected. 18% of people did not know. They were with you. They did not know what either one of those things were. And as someone pointed out to me, it was basically anyone that responded to that was likely under 25 or over 45, which does feel fairly accurate. 25% of people knew Magic the Gathering, not Pogs, and just 6% of people knew Pogs, but not Magic. I was interested to see the breakdown on that. And those were fads in the Northeast in 1994 to 1996. And uh, I just had people asking me to like come back to you and talk to you about it on the podcast. So for those I, had, people, I, I was like, 94 to 96 is like I was, you know, that's end of high school, beginning of college for me. Listen, I, I, it, I'm still I'm still stunned that you didn't know what either one was, but that goes to that goes to show you. And some other people were as well. They 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 were like, what, "What's up with GP here?" But you know, he's he's just a little bit older. We just we're of the same generation, but not the same age, if you will. So that's pretty much all I got. I'm gonna send Quinn Snyder a friend request. You can do that. I'm gonna watch. I got two more episodes of The Undoing. I think I'm going to get one in tonight, and then we got nothing going on tomorrow. So another one in. I'll watch the finale on Monday. I know you've already wrapped. I said I was going to text you. I will tell you um, that I had two guesses. I've already seen all of the undoing. I had two guesses for how it would end, and one of my guesses was correct. All right. But I'm through, I'm through with the undoing. I recommend it. I've got tonight, final episode of Murder on Middle Beach, which is a pretty good documentary. I've been enjoying four-part documentary. Um, tonight's the final episode, so I'm going to knock that out. I knocked out The Queen's Gambit. I thought it was terrific. Loved it. I'm a little late to the party on that one, but I knocked it out last week. Thought it was great. And the new one that I started on Saturday, The, uh, the Flight Attendant. It's on HBO Max. Pretty good. Pretty, 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 pretty good. Well, I'm gonna do the undoing, and then I gotta. I, don't know, I just can't keep up with you. I'm just, I'm just way behind. Like you started billions two years after me, and I'm still not caught up. And you're like, all, oh, you're all caught up. I am completely caught up. I got no shot. It, it got interrupted by the pandemic. That's where we're at now. We're in a holding pattern because of this stupid pandemic. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle, Legend. Shasta Larnell, thank you guys once again for listening to the Island College Basketball Podcast in the middle of, I cannot stress this enough, absolute dumbest pandemic 
of my entire lifetime. Never, never lived through a pandemic, anything close to something like this. Driving me crazy, but they say the vaccines work and they'll be here soon enough. So let's just keep our heads up and and keep our mask on and, and we'll get through it. But undeniably, dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate it. Go to that. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday. Until then, take care. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.